Welcome to our Through the Bible series today on Light on the Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you, cause all I need is you. We're issuing a challenge to you today on Light on the Hill. Go through the Bible with us in about a month and see what God will do and reveal to you. Pastor James Cadiz believes it's helpful in so many ways to go at a fast pace like this. You'll see the big picture that the Bible paints. We'll start off with Genesis, the book of beginnings. Let's talk about the book of Genesis. Actually, when we talk about the first five books of the Old Testament, as um, I shared some of the basics last week, of course, we know that uh, Moses, of course, is the author of these books. And, uh, you know, the time of the writing is, uh, there's a lot of argument as to when it was actually written. We know that Moses would have, at least in the first part of the book of Genesis, would have acted as almost an editor of uh, the first several chapters. And Moses sort of compiled the stories that he knew to be true concerning creation. And I think Genesis is, if, if anything, one of the most important, if not the most important book of the Bible, because Genesis talks to us about our origin, right? There's a lot of debate about evolution versus creation. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of going back and forth about uh, what exists and sort of, uh, you know, how things were created and, and, you know, that kind of a thing. And I'll just say this. I believe that Genesis makes it very clear to us that it is God who created the heavens and the earth. We know that God uh, molded and fashioned it. We know that the Bible tells us that he literally put the earth together by the work of his own hands. And Genesis gives us that description. Now, it's interesting because Genesis is the book of beginnings, okay? It's, it's kind of the whole idea behind this book is that we learn concerning everything, the beginning of everything, at least the beginning of everything that is significant to the story of God's Salvation, I guess, would be the best way of putting it. So when you start with the story of salvation, when you sort of begin the picture of salvation, the picture of salvation has to start. It must absolutely start with the story of God creating his creation, right? And there's a lot of mistakes that get made in Genesis right from the very beginning. Uh, we'll just talk about the most common mistake that's made in Genesis, and it comes from a misunderstanding of the grammar in the book of Genesis and actually the misunderstanding or misappropriation of the Hebrew language, and that is, of course, the very beginning. So the big misunderstanding is what takes place between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. So let's go there, actually, in Genesis, actually, chapter 1, verse 1, and I can kind of summarize the rest of the book. There's a few perspective issues I want to help align with the book of Genesis, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, when we look at the phrase in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay, that is simply a declaration. Now, a lot of people say that, well, what happened is, is in verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth uh, was kind of, everything was in great shape, and then there was sort of a rebellion 
uh, by Satan in between verse 1 and verse 2. And that's when all of creation fell and all kinds of things happened. And of course, God destroyed the earth because of Satan's rebellion. Now, I think that's just bogus and ridiculous. A lot of people refer to it loosely as called the gap theory. And really, anybody who would adhere to that view simply does not understand the basic grammar of Hebrew, okay, of the Hebrew language, all right? And it's quite simple. This is what's happening between verse 1 and verse 2. There's no gap there, okay? What's happening is this. God's making a declaration in verse 1. Okay, actually, the author is making a declaration. We know God's inspiring the author to make it. Moses is basically identifying who it is that created the heavens and the earth. He's making the statement, God indeed is the one who created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who created space. He's the one that created time and matter. He's the one that created all things. He's the creator of it all. Okay, it's a very simple declaration. And then verse 2 tells us how the earth actually began. So the idea is, is that the earth was created as a set of raw material. So when God made something out of nothing, he basically spoke the earth into existence. And then over the next six days that we read about in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God formed and fashioned the earth like an artist would form and fashion a statue. You know, that kind of idea. The picture of God creating the heavens and the earth and the earth without being formed and void is the idea that God spoke into existence all of the raw material and then he took the raw material and he formed and he fashioned it and, and uh, sort of, so to speak, kind of evolved it. You know what I mean? In other words, he made it beautiful. He, it's like he took a paintbrush and he just started stroking that paintbrush and made this beautiful picture. Took something that was ugly and made it spectacular. And, you know, there's ways of describing what this looks like. I remember the mural that's over to your right. Man, when you saw it at first, it looked ugly. All it was was just a few pencil scratches. You couldn't even really see any image there. You just saw, uh, you know, a bunch of paint that was on the, the, the concrete floor. And there was some spray cans and there was a few other things. And it just, it looked like nothing. Matter of fact, it was a big piece of plywood, actually, and and because we built that little uh, that little area that's kind of elevated back, we built that. That covers a, a a set of double doors that goes into the next warehouse. Believe it or not, and a lot of people that that have never been here wouldn't know that. As a matter of fact, the wall that's right behind you, the wall that actually says you are the light of the word, a city that cannot be hidden on a hill. If you may have noticed, there's a rolling door behind that, right? We built that uh, that wall to cover the rolling door. That wall looked ugly. And then what happened was you saw really kind of a, there was sort of a flat image that went on the back. It wasn't even an image. It was just one flat color on the back. And then pretty soon as time went on, you could see little pieces of those images become formed and developed and shaped and a little, little picture here and a little piece of art there. And, and pretty soon after a while, I think it was two days later, you saw this beautiful mural that everybody stood up in front of and Wow, that's so cool, you know? And, you know, we kind of take for granted that it's always been there, so to speak. But I remember when it was actually created and it started with a bunch of raw material and then it ended up becoming formed and fashioned. So the whole idea is that God, what God is trying to say here, what, we're, what he's trying to, to, to picture to us is that, look, I'm the artist that not only created the heavens and the earth, but I'm the one that took the time to make it beautiful. I'm the one that took the time to form and fashion every aspect of it. And, and here's the question that I would ask. Why is it important for us to know that in Genesis? Well, I think it's important for us to know that 
because it shows us that God, within his own very nature, has a beautiful artistic form of expression in his very creation. And we are that artistic form of expression. As a matter of fact, Paul makes that declaration. He actually calls us God's poem, right, in Ephesians. He calls us, you know, the, you know we are God's workmanship. You know, in other words, we're his, we're his great poem. And uh, kind of an interesting type of a, a picture that's given to us. Now, the idea here is that God is the one who not only created it, God formed and fashioned it, and it was his work that he completed and that he said was good. Now, what we find out in Genesis was that man began to enjoy it. God created Adam and Eve. He put them together. And no, it was not Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve, right? And uh, he put them together and he made this beautiful creation. He created marriage. He ordained it. He created sex. He, you know, he ordained that. There's all kinds of things that God created that were pleasurable and wonderful, and man enjoyed it. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve were actually in the garden. They were naked. They were unashamed of their nakedness until what happened? Until the woman ruined it all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Until man, until, listen, listen, that was a funny joke, but man was the one that destroyed it. Man was the one who messed up. The Bible says that woman was the one who was deceived. She didn't hear the command of God directly. It was Adam who heard the command of God. And so it wasn't woman that messed it up. It was man that messed it up, right? I mean, even if Eve had gone to Adam and said, here you go, I tried this, it tastes so good, and it's wonderful, and it's a great thing. Adam had the obligation to lead his beautiful wife and to say, no, God said we can't eat it. God said we cannot, you know, do this. So kind of interesting when you think about the, the, I guess the, the dynamic that took place here. And it's funny because later on, the Bible actually blames Adam. The Bible says that through one man, sin entered the world. Not through one woman, through one man, right? And it was sin that entered the world through Adam because Adam was the one who chose to disobey God in open rebellion. And of course, because of Adam's open rebellion, God cursed man in essence. Why? Because that's what sin does. And actually, I don't like to say God cursed man. What I like to say is man cursed man, okay? And so we kind of get that picture. And then of course, in a very short time, in the course of a few short chapters, we actually see man get increasingly wicked. We see them go increasingly dark. And of course, God says, ouch, I've got to fix this. Mankind is going to be destroyed with their sin very quickly. So I better kill off all of those who are really not listening to my voice. And in essence, what I'm going to do is I'm going to save a small remnant. And from that remnant, I'm going to cause great growth to take place. I'm going to build a nation. And so, of course, we see that happening. We see that God created this flood. This flood destroyed all of uh, mankind. It destroyed all of the animals. And in essence, because of that flood, what we see take place is we just see this complete and total destruction around, but yet God chose to create what? A new beginning. Remember, Genesis is the book of beginnings. So we see a new beginning in God's creation. We see a new beginning in God sparing his remnant in the flood. And then this is really cool. We see a new beginning when we talk about the nation of Israel. And we begin to see the birth of the nation of Israel as we hear about the story of Joseph, how God used the, the pain that Joseph suffered through to actually save a whole country, to save a whole nation. If you remember, Joseph was the guy who got the raw deal, right? Joseph was the guy who had many other brothers. He actually had, he had 11 other brothers. Anyway, he had these brothers. And of course, these brothers were very jealous of him. So what did they do? They pretended as though he was dead. They sold him off forcibly 
unto slavery. They sold him off to the Egyptians for slavery. And of course, in his time of slavery, God blessed him. And through his blessing as a slave, uh, God raised him up. But yet there was a problem. He was falsely accused of rape because he resisted the sexual advances of a woman. And as he got you know, imprisoned. He was actually forgotten in prison because in prison he spent many, many years there, but yet God still used him to interpret the dream of some guy that, you know, this guy had actually, God used him to interpret a few dreams while he was in jail. But then the people that uh, he interpreted those dreams for actually forgot about him. Actually, one of them died. And so um, what ends up happening is when you take it just a, a step forward, what happens is the Pharaoh has a dream. He's disturbed by it. He doesn't know what's going on. And Joseph was called upon to interpret that dream. And in doing so, the Pharaoh said, you know what? You're wise. God's given you wisdom. He's given you the interpretation of the dream. Get out of jail free, pal. Come over here and become the second in command of the known world. So he becomes second in command. And in essence, what he does is he saves all of Israel, which really are his brothers. He saves Israel. He saves the, the future of the nation. And then this is where we see the beginning of the nation. And it's actually a pretty powerful thing. And in Genesis chapter 49, as we get to the end of Genesis, you know, the end of the book of Genesis, what happens in chapter 49 is there's a few really cool declarations that are made. The whole chapter of Genesis 49, I would highly recommend that you read through because what happens is, is you see the father of Israel, Yaob, okay, or we call him Israel, or the father, we, we actually name him, he's named Israel, but the, the, where, where Israel came from, he goes and he gives blessings and cursings to his sons, blessings and curses to his sons. I've, I've hit a huge fast forward button. He actually talks about the different characteristics of all of his sons in that chapter, and there's some interesting things that actually come from that chapter. Let's go there to, to 49 for just a second. There's a, a few quick areas of that chapter that I'd like to read, um, some interesting things that come from it. By the way, Genesis is a great soap opera. If you know what I mean, if you guys like watching soap operas or like these, what do they call them? Well, man soap operas is like the WWF or, you know, like the world wrestling stuff. That's like a soap opera for men. But it's, it's a lot of drama. And if you like drama, you can open up the book of Genesis and you will read lots of drama. And it's exciting, man. I mean, you, you get stuck. You know, it's funny. I've read through Genesis hundreds, if not thousands of times. And every time I read through these stories, I'm like, oh. Ooh, wow. You know, I even like reading it in different translations because it, it just catches you. You, you. you know, you pick up on different words and it's kind of exciting. And there's a lot of that that goes on. So when you read through all of the drama of Genesis, Genesis 49 really has some meaning. And um, by the way, I forgot to do this for those of you that went to Israel, but I um, normally recommend when I take a group to Israel that you read through Genesis 49 thoroughly and that you become very familiar with it because you can see the characteristics exhibited by all of the tribes through the declarations that are made here by Jacob. And it's interesting when he declares certain things about his sons, the things that you learn. Look at verse two of chapter one. Actually, we'll just start at verse one of chapter 49. It says, and Jacob called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I might tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> this is an area where you would actually see a dualism here. There's a, there's a discussion of what he feels concerning his sons here. He's making a declaration about them and, and their character and what will happen to them. But then there's also kind of a prophetic sort of an application, one where we call didactic, local, meaning to this here, and one that really is for the future. And uh, that phrase, the last days, is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it sort of carries on 
to that sort of uh, implication. But let's just start with the first thing. As he says here, um, it says in verse two, it says, gather yourselves together and hear you sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel, your father. So let's just start with the first, uh, the first person that he talks about. He says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up into thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. And it's kind of interesting, when you read about the tribe of Reuben and Reuben's behavior, you will see that those very words came very true, right? That Reuben has always been unstable. And also, like that of Judah, Reuben was always sort of part of the hot-headed group, you know, and uh, sort of the group that kind of always strayed away and didn't really want part of what God had available for them. You know, Reuben was part of the, t- the, the group of uh, people, one of the, a part of the tribe that actually wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan, if you remember. So, th- you know, there's some interesting things you learn there, but let's go down to Judah. Let's talk about Judah for a second, okay? There are several verses that are dedicated to Judah, and uh, why would that be? Anybody have an idea? You can just holler it out. Why would Judah be so significant, and why would there be a lot of discussion concerning Judah? Anybody? Right? Yeah, very good. You guys almost said it all at the same time, right? Jesus, of course, would be part of the line of the tribe of Judah. And so um, we know this. Look at, look at this in verse 8. It says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. By the way, this is kind of interesting when we read the, the prophecy of Judah. Pay attention to what he says about him. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Now, the idea is, is that Judah are going to be, those guys are the tough guys. Those are the guys that are the strong arms. Those are the guys that are the military people. And by the way, some of the most elite soldiers in the Israeli defense force can be traced back to the tribe of Judah, believe it or not. Many of the uh, generals, many of those who are high-ranking in the Israeli Defense Force are from the tribe of Judah, and it makes sense because they, in essence, based on a prophetic proclamation, they are the ones that are the elite soldiers. They are the ones that are the, they are the tough guys. But look what it goes on to say. It says, the scepter, okay, this is again prophetic, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, who is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus. Look what it goes on to say. It says, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. And this really goes back to the speaking of lots of, there's lots of prophecies that kind of point to this. Isaiah 63 in particular, and lots of other areas that you can go to that really speak of this. The book of Psalms, it's all over the book of Psalms. And the whole idea is this, in verse 10, when you read that verse in verse 10, it's basically saying that, look, uh, the, the Jews interpret it as the right to capital punishment will never be taken away from them until the Messiah comes, and it's then the Messiah who will execute that right of capital punishment or that right of judgment. Now, we do know that the right of capital punishment was taken away, right? We can see that. We recognize that the right of capital punishment was taken away, but yet the thing that we recognize is that 
Most people did not know or realize at all that Shiloh came during that time. Remember, the Romans took away the Jews' right to kill somebody. They took away capital punishment. But yet, around that same time, the Messiah was born. And so it's a, it's a powerful thing. The scepter to parting from Judah was a phrase that would imply that they would lose the right to be able to execute judgment in their own nation. And uh, particularly, capital punishment was that one thing that people were looking for. Once we lose that right, we no longer have the scepter. So there's some great prophetic stuff that you will read just in chapter 49 alone. And certainly we don't have the time to do all of that because what happens if we do that is we forget and lose sight of the rest of the books that we're going through today. Thanks for listening to Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We're currently going through the Bible at a rapid pace. There are 16 messages in this series, and you can access all of them at lightonthehillradio.com or through the Light on the Hill app and podcast. One of the highlights of our day is when we hear from our listeners. It's an opportunity to thank the Lord for what He's doing. Share your story with us. You can contact us through our website at lightonthehillradio.com. If God is leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, we would be so grateful. Donations can be made at lightonthehillradio.com or through the Light on the Hill app. Pastor James, since we're beginning our Through the Bible series, it's a good time to mention the value of studying the Bible in its entirety. Maybe some of our listeners have never even done that. In addition to talking about some of the benefits of doing this, what do you recommend? Some sort of Bible reading plan or just going from Genesis to Revelation? You know, it's a great question that you bring this up because there are several recommendations that I would give. First of all, if you are not downloading our church bulletin every week, you should because it does have a Bible reading plan that is in there and it's a beautiful plan. It helps you get through things pretty concisely. Also, I'm involved in a ministry called Bible in 365. You can go to BibleIn365.com and it is a Bible app that has been created by Charlie and Erica Kirk and gives us the ability to be able to go through the Bible in a year. And I actually did a whole new series teaching through the whole Bible, book by book, that you can actually listen to uh, roughly about 100 videos. And it's a great, useful tool to help you get through the Bible, study it, and get better acquainted with it all. I also recommend a resource like Haley's Bible Handbook or J. Vernon McGee's Through the Bible series. There's some great tools that you can get there that will concisely take you through all of that material. And also, you should note that I have teachings through every section of the Bible, every book of the Bible online at jameskadis.com or Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. You can go there and listen to very in-depth teachings if you run into a spot that you might encounter some difficulty with. Thanks, Pastor James. Let's turn back to Genesis as Pastor James highlights another beautiful verse. There's another verse that I would like to focus on, which I think is a, just a, a special one, and that is verse 20 of chapter 50. And let me just set up the background here of what's going on. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's a verse that I oftentimes quote in counseling, and I quote to people uh, on a pretty regular basis. But here's the story. We'll just set it up, right? Joseph was set up by his brothers. As you know, his brothers mistreated him, poorly mistreated him. It was not a good thing. And so Joseph had every right to be bitter. He had every right to be angry because of all the wrongdoing that was done towards him. But yet something interesting happens. And I want you to catch this. 
Joseph is blessed and raised up by God. And when his brothers realize that Joseph is one of the most powerful men, the second most powerful man in the known world at that time, they are scared to death of him. And of course, what Joseph does is he has mercy on his brothers. He wants to see his dad. They bring his dad back to Egypt. They meet him. They see him. You know, he's close to them. And then here's the thing. When Joseph's father dies, Joseph's brothers now are scared to death. They're freaked out. They're just, they're scared because they think that Joseph is going to kill him. They think Joseph's going to have revenge. Now that his dad is dead, oh, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. But look at the godly wisdom that Joseph has. We'll start actually at verse 19 to provide a little bit of context. It says, and Joseph said unto them, fear not for am I in the place of God? Why are you so scared? Am I God? Am I the, am, you know, am I the person that is supposed to judge you? I'm not going to do that. Look what he says. He says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. Boy, isn't that special. What I love is this. I love Joseph's perspective. Joseph realized that God, every negative thing that happened to him, God allowed it to happen. God allowed it to happen for his glory. God allowed it to happen for his good. God allowed it to happen, not only for Joseph's good, but to save the whole world. There's no way in heaven or on earth that Joseph could have ever known, could have ever known that God was planning and using all of this to put him in a position to save the known world at the time. We'll get into Exodus on our next Light on the Hill. Join us each day as we go through the Bible with Pastor James Cadiz. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. I have found That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is 